0: Support for the California Report comes from the Wesley Foundation, improving the lives of California's children and youth at risk. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose family foundation advances the wiser use of energy and natural resources on a planet where everything is connected, on the web at theschmidt.org.
3: On today's California Report magazine, we listen in as two women talk about a terrible experience they've both been through. One just lost her home in Santa Rosa. The other lost hers 26 years ago in the Oakland Hills. She's got some advice.
4: Going through the rubble of their house, tangled silverware maybe and shards of ceramics. I urge you to keep a box of some of those things. And we head to Santa Monica
3: to meet the holy roller of the old school printing
5: press. The printing presses, one's called Baby and one's called Mamie because she pinched my finger off once. They're temperamental. They want some love.
3: I'm Sasha Coca, and this is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. The wildfires that roared through wine country will rank among the deadliest and most destructive in California history. But many Californians are already jumping in, doing what they can now to support the recovery. One couple took their food truck to a Cal Fire staging ground in Sonoma and have been making hundreds of burritos for firefighters.
4: My name is Susie Preifogel, and my husband Andrew and I own the Tri-Tip Trolley. We have two of them. We have one up in Santa Rosa right now at the Santa Rosa Armory. Here you go, sir. Thank you. Tri-tip burrito, and there's um, energy drinks and snacks inside there. Okay. We have coffee here.
6: Great,
3: thanks. You're welcome. Thank you.
6: It's an amazing community effort. Every Everything you see here, all this
2: food has been donated by people in the community. And uh, a lot of people coming out here and volunteering work, and a, a lot of our our crew that works every day on the trolley is now working on this to to serve firefighters. So we uh we just got a big order of 300 in. We can do that in about an hour, hour and 20 minutes or so, and they'll get them out to the front lines, the people that are uh, that are right there fighting the fires. So we live in Glen Ellen, just a about a just half mile over that hill. Our house is okay right, right
5: now, and that's because of the hard work of all these first responders. has been amazing. Excuse me, guys.
3: In Santa Rosa, Ben Viam and his wife, Nicole, are adjusting to several big changes. Nicole was already in labor when she was evacuated from a hospital too close to the fires. They still have a home for their newborn son, but the restaurant where Ben works, Sweet Teas, burned down. Although he doesn't have a job, Ben is looking for the silver lining.
6: I've never been on unemployment before, but if I could take unemployment for a little bit and take care of my baby boy... I wouldn't mind that at all. Again, that's the perhaps an optimistic outlook. I have only been doing hospital and baby mode and uh, connecting with my wife and baby for the last five days, and I will, you know, return to normal life at some point. I would love to just once things get like a little bit more stable in our lives. Like I really hope that I can help contribute to the like future of that restaurant, but just volunteer for everyone who is suffering. Uh, in Sonoma County right now. There's going to be a lot of rebuilding. I'm pretty sure that people are going to rebuild and rework and clean this place up really nice.
3: At an evacuation center in Sonoma, volunteers are doing what they can to help fire survivors get back to normal. Hairstylist Lisa Lasser drove up from Oakland to offer free haircuts.
4: There's three of us. We're here to do haircuts. We are doing dry cuts. We have we have sanitary wipes and sanic strips to and capes and clients are all protected. We're doing dry hair cuttings. We're they're actually doing two haircuts right now, but one really want to go short, so I don't know. And then another lady who doesn't know what to do with her curls. It just takes them out of the norm right now. In a day, we could probably do 15 minutes. Haircuts are really good, and it's just enough to keep them happy.
3: Cassandra Thompson is the client who really wants to go short. Her house in Glen Ellen burned down. We went
4: and saw it this morning, and there's really nothing left of it. Like, nothing. No salvageable, no nothing. And it's gone. Everything's gone. So we're having to do something new now. And my hair was weighing me down because it was down to here, past my hip bone. So they took off a lot, so... Yeah, that's why I got my hair cut. I figured it would bring a little
3: happiness to the sadness that's happening right now. And some Californians have something unique to offer fire survivors in wine country, their own stories of recovery. People who lost their homes to fire years ago are reaching out to the newest victims with advice and comfort and the chance to talk to someone who's been there before. Jill Permit couldn't sleep the night the fires broke out near her home in Santa Rosa. The moon was oddly red, and the winds were whipping fast.
1: We're hearing things booming, and I pulled up my shades in my room, and I saw the flames. And my husband saw the flames. He says, we got to go now.
3: That feeling of desperate, surreal, surging panic, Joan Tanzer has felt it too. She lost her house in the Oakland Hills fire back in 1991.
4: The phone was still working, and it was a very close friend screaming, get the hell out of there, now. Until last week, the two women
3: were strangers. But then a mutual friend told Joan about Jill, about how her entire neighborhood in Santa Rosa had just burned to the ground. Joan called her right away. And since then, they've talked several times.
4: Hi, is this Jill? Yeah. Hi, Jill. Thanks for picking up.
3: Joan is calling from Aptos, south of Santa Cruz, where she and her husband retired a few years ago. She's got asthma, so she won't be visiting Jill until the smoke clears. Jill and her husband are staying in a hotel in Santa Rosa. We sent a reporter to visit each woman to record this phone call, their third, more
4: clearly. You haven't seen the rebel or anything? No, no, no. We, We can't go up there yet. Yeah, that's not an easy thing when you finally get up there it's right right i'm sure that's a whole nother ball game it's a whole joan
3: is sympathetic but also blunt about how bad it can be she says it took her 15 years to really recover from the oakland fire her daughter was only eight then so helping her cope was part of it and back then there were no electronic copies saved to the cloud joan grabbed a few photo albums when they escaped but they lost the rest.
4: Pictures and the mementos, that's what means something. Your wedding dress. In some ways, the recovery process will be different for Jill. She kept a lot of financial
3: documents online. Some of her treasured photos are backed up, and all three of her kids are grown and gone. But Joan warns Jill she and her husband
4: are in for a stressful time. Kiss your hubby a lot. (laughs) I mean, you are a team. This is a team effort. Yeah, that's really good. That's good advice. But really, you got to take care of yourself and your twosome. I I really think that that got overlooked. We had a support group afterwards. There were 13 of us, seven divorces. Wow. Seven divorces. And these weren't new marriages. These were established marriages. The strain of... um, Even renovation is a big factor in divorce, but doing this is just crazy. So that's why I Joan's support group
3: was called the Optimists. Her neighbors swapped tips on dealing with insurance and talked about how to help their kids feel safe again. Joan says life after the fire was full of surprises. Stores gave her discounts, and co-workers left little gifts on her desk. Practical things like pantyhose and underwear. They even threw her a fire recovery shower, kind of like a bridal shower, to replace all the pots and pans and household things she needed.
4: Presents like you could not imagine Gave me most of the stuff in my kitchen.
3: In Santa Rosa, people have been doing wonderful things for Jill and her husband, too. Some have dropped off meals at the hotel.
4: It's a warm, wonderful
3: place to be if you're displaced. Joan says when you're a disaster victim, being the center of attention can be healing. But it can sometimes feel invasive.
4: After the Oakland fire, her neighborhood became a kind of spectacle. A busload of Japanese tourists who were coming out and they saw us in the with the debris and they were coming out of the bus to take our picture as if it were like some other kind of entertainment. When she's talking to
3: Jill, Joan shares lots of stories like that one. The bizarre and surprising along with the tales of loss. Her hope is they'll help Jill prepare for the strange psychological space she will have to inhabit in the coming months and years.
4: We'll stay in touch. Yeah, we'll stay in touch. We'll stay in touch. And I'm thinking about you every day. (laughs) Believe me. Thank
3: you, Joan. Thank you. After hanging up the phone, Jill says some of Joan's advice has been great, but she can't absorb all of it right now. She told me about the trauma and a lot of that, which I think is going to take a long time to settle in. But Joan's practical tips have been so helpful, Jill says, like referring her to a trustworthy public adjuster, the same one Joan used after the Oakland Hills fire. Public adjusters help catalog lost belongings and negotiate with insurance in return for a
1: cut of the claim. You've lost everything in your life. Now you have to write it all down. That's enough trauma, but then you have to deal with not knowing the language of insurance. That's not really how it should be. Back
3: in Aptos, Joan hangs up the phone and then heads to her art studio in the garage. Joan's a retired social worker and an artist.
4: Here's one box.
3: She dumps out a pile on the floor, things she salvaged from the ruins of her home. In the months after the fire, she collected boxes of this stuff, blackened coins, twisted forks, and a melted menorah. She uses these materials in sculptures and collages.
4: The melted pennies from my daughter's piggy bank that had we found and shards from a vase that my mother-in-law gave us for our wedding. This is artwork born from the ashes. It started after the fire when Joan
3: and her neighbors got together to build little sculptures from the debris they found. It was the kind of therapy. Joan says that might not work for everybody, but she does think survivors should go back and search for things in the ashes.
4: You might think that it's, oh, I don't want to ever remember the horror of that. But there'll become a time when you want to go through that and remember. Because each one of those things hold memories within them. Joan's phone is ringing a lot these days. Other survivors
3: of the Wine Country fires are calling Eager to hear from someone who's actually gotten through this and can talk to them from the other side. When families lose their homes, whether from fire, foreclosure, or another kind of disaster, helping the kids adapt is tough. Now we're going to hear about a fifth grader who became homeless after his family was evicted. He spends hours just trying to get to school each day. Federal law says school districts are supposed to help students like him, making it as easy as possible for them to get to school, even as they bounce around in search of stability. Reporter Lee Romney spent the day with 10-year-old Nassim Bennett.
1: Nassim is getting ready for his first day of fifth grade. He can't find his bubblegum toothpaste, so he has to use the adult stuff.
3: That really stings the mouth.
1: It sounds like a typical domestic scene, but this isn't Nassim's house. He and his mom, Raquel Allenby, sleep in his great-grandmother's living room. Yeah. Is your grandma sleeping? yeah. yeah. This is where i sleep, sleeping, he sleeps on the air. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then you put everything away in the morning or got to, because And they get up really early. It's six AM. But Nassim's twenty two miles and three counties away from his school. For years, Raquel and Nassim lived in North Oakland with mister Spooky the cat and Cujo, the Chihuahua. Last fall, they got evicted from their Oakland apartment. Raquel says wrongfully. It's hard for her to use the word, but they became homeless. Nassim is the main one that I worry about. I know when he's stressed out. There's a lot of research that concludes students who lose their housing, even briefly, perform more poorly in school. They're often late or miss days. And they're less likely than any other group to graduate. Nassim's had anxiety attacks, temper tantrums, lots of stress eating. Early this year, he and his mom had no choice but to come here to his great-grandma's one-bedroom apartment near a leafy park in South San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And then traveling from here all the way to Oakland, and then go Oakland, and then back here. The back and forth? Yeah. That's so Nassim can stay in the same Oakland school where he's been since kindergarten, where they know him and care about him. Hey, Ma, where are my Pokemon cards? The whole trip to school will take nearly two hours. Seriously? Nassim uses a beat-up scooter with busted front brakes for the first leg of the journey. Keeping Nassim in the same school, it turns out that's actually Raquel's legal right. Three decades ago, President Ronald Reagan signed the McKinney-Vento Homeless Assistance Act into federal law. The big picture idea? To provide stability. There are about 1.3 million of those kids across the country now, more than a fifth of them in California. The law guarantees that kids who've lost their fixed housing can stay at the school they've been attending. It guarantees other rights, too. Like help with transportation costs to and from school. Raquel and Nassim could really use that help. The bulk of their commute is a long ride on BART, Bay Area Rapid Transit. When they get to the station, it's time for an uncomfortable ritual. What
4: say?
0: Like, 340? It's just 340. You'll Give it to me, and you go through the emergency.
1: Come yeah. on. Raquel asks Nassim to run through the emergency gate.
0: and you go
4: through, or you just run through again. I keep saying that's the last time. it's never the last time.
1: Nassim's situation is not unusual. Last year, the Oakland Unified School District saw an increase of more than 50% in its homeless student tally to almost 1,600 kids. And those are just the families the district knows about. Trish Anderson is the district's new McKinney-Vento liaison.
0: She just took over this fall. When you think about the number of people in that situation in Oakland right now with the housing crisis, that number is bound to be larger than it was in the past, in previous years. The law
1: says districts have to work with school sites to identify students who've lost their housing. They're supposed to spread the word at soup kitchens and shelters and motels and laundromats so families know what they're entitled to staying in their home school, enrolling without proof of an address, getting transportation help and additional supports like school supplies and clothes, referrals to dental care, housing, and other services. But there's a big gap between what the law promises and what it delivers. Oakland Unified's Trish Anderson is just one person with a caseload of 1,600. The district's funding. It stayed flat for the past three years, and it's not projected to grow this year. In class, Nassim puts his head on his desk. His teacher, Miss Grill, leans in close to check in. How are you doing, Nassim? I don't know. You don't know. Is today feeling a little hard? The first day back at school. Nasim takes a pass on the yogurt and apple the school provides for breakfast, so Miss Grill reaches into her personal snack pack.
0: So here's what we've got if you're hungry. I have a banana. Would you like a banana?
1: Yeah. Even though Nassim's school has been really supportive, he wasn't even included in the district's homeless student tally last year. The information never made it up the chain to Trish Anderson's office. But starting this year, Anderson is required to make sure school site personnel from principals on down get trained in the law too, so that these kids are flagged and plugged into supports. That first week of school, her drop-in center was packed. She fixed it up with a donated sofa and comfortable chairs, decorated the walls, and got to work writing letters to tap the private sector for help. It turns out Strapped Oakland Unified only hands out local bus passes to homeless families, not regional commuter train tickets. And even the bus money doesn't stretch.
0: Around April, we're running out of funding for transportation.
1: So as for help with BART... Nassim and Raquel are on their own. It's almost 8 p.m. when they get back to Nassim's great-grandmother's place in South San Francisco. They're exhausted. Raquel says she loves to dream about the home she'll share with her son again one day. But Nassim doesn't want to play that game. Do you want your own room
0: again one day? (laughs) Yeah.
1: What do you miss about that? You don't want to say, huh? Hmm. Raquel thinks Nassim just can't go there right now, that he's not confident he'll ever have his own space. For the California Report, I'm Lee Romney.
3: And now let's head to Santa Monica to a shop off Pico Boulevard, a place that feels like it's from another era, a time before computers and scanners and copiers.
5: It's keeping that direct connection to the past alive in a contemporary fashion, but it's just, you know, this doesn't exist in L.A. It's It's been pure madness.
3: Kevin Bradley is a master of the handset letterpress. After spending two decades building up his business in Tennessee, he came west to carry on a sacred tradition. Reporter Peter Gilstrap takes us to Bradley's storefront studio called the Church of Type. Oh.
2: The higher power is obvious the minute you enter this holy place. The walls and ceiling are covered with posters heralding classic country, blues, and soul singers. Posters boldly announcing wrestlers and robots, civil rights heroes, pork chops, communists, and Bigfoot. It's a sensory overload, like hundreds of people screaming at your eyeballs in big block letters. There are trays of ancient fonts, massive drawers heavy with metal type, and at the heart of it all, the guiding light of the Church of Type himself, Kevin Bradley. He operates enormous mid-century machines that speak a mechanical language from a time gone by.
5: So you do that all day. The printing presses, one's called Baby, and one's called Mamie because you my finger off once but they all have personalities idiosyncrasies. they're temperamental they want some love they want some love
2: That's probably not something you're going to say about a cold silent brush steel laptop
5: I'm the only guy who's 100% no computer I just do it by hand I carve wood blocks or set type I have over 2,000 fonts of type in here from six point to three feet tall and so I'm a traditionalist in that way I'm a dinosaur but it's satisfying. It's so satisfying to make something that you feel good about.
2: No, that isn't bacon frying.
5: You learn, the, you learn the sound.
2: Bradley's pouring a teaspoon of black ink onto the roller of a machine the size of a buffalo. He's making a poster for Lucinda Williams right now. It's taken him two full days just to set the type. He scrapes off excess ink bumps, hickeys in print shop talk, with a razor blade and his finger.
5: Everyone thinks this is so glamorous, and they come in here, but, in, you know, I'm a dirty monkey every day with ink all over me, and my clothes are ruined, and that's, that's how glamorous it is, you know. I'm a glorified janitor in, in, in most ways.
2: Bradley has the janitor look down pat. He wears a rumpled work shirt with the sleeves rolled up, and his splattered jeans look like a printing press threw up on them. But the shoes, the shoes are a different story. Vintage black and white wingtips that could have come from the closet of a Tennessee Williams lawyer. There's ink on the shoes, too, but it all goes with the work. And one-man show, Bradley, certainly works, often seven days a week, well into the night, as James Brown, Will Oldham, and George Jones keep him company, blasting from the stereo. He designs and prints everything from business cards to album covers to wedding invitations. For the last decade, he's created posters for the Ponderosa Stomp, the New Orleans Roots Music Festival.
5: To be honest, I don't even know what I'm getting. When he does posters in The Stomp, I don't even know what they are until he sends them.
2: That's Dr. Ike Podnos, who founded The Stomp. He became a disciple in the Church of Type after seeing Bradley's posters displayed at New Orleans' annual Jazz Fest.
5: It was that old school letterpress that just was so cool. I mean, people don't do that anymore. And then he's just taken it to another level. And so he started really going back and doing posters that almost look like they're in the 50s and 60s with the coloring and using the photos and stuff and the subject matter themselves. I mean, here's a guy who they were doing wrestling stuff. You will sit there and you see the ox. I mean, who puts the ox on posters? Who, who's doing Link Ray posters? Who's doing posters of Robert Johnson? It's just things that people weren't doing at that time that made it so cool.
2: But Bradley also creates pieces for himself. Unexpected combinations of words, images, block print, and primitive Howard Finster-like drawings. These things can be massive. They're striking, raw, and original stuff. But is it art?
5: I think that Kevin does make art and is an artist. It's not his fault that he's not rich and famous.
2: That's painter and musician Bob Newworth. He produced the traditional country music documentary, Down from the Mountain, hiring Bradley to do some design work. Newworth was also close friends with Bob Dylan, the guy you see from the waist down on the cover of Highway 61 Revisited, standing right behind Bob. That's Newworth.
5: One of the things that might be standing in Kevin's way is his authenticity. I mean, he actually means it. (laughs) I better keep my mouth shut after saying that. But part of what goes with being an artist are the the vicissitudes of the art world, you know. My overriding idea, coming to L.A. with this, I wanted to present Letterpress as an art form.
2: The Los Angeles art community apparently didn't see it that way.
5: I haven't fit into the art scene proper, hardly at all. I'm such an outsider and always have. I work on the outside of almost everything and I can live there and I do it. I do my thing.
2: But he won't be doing his thing in Los Angeles much longer. Davy Crockett, king of the wild frontier.
5: Born on a mountaintop in Tennessee.
2: Kevin Bradley, who shares a Tennessee hometown and a passion for coonskin caps with the late Davy Crockett, is returning to his roots.
5: You know, it works better in the South, and I think I'll be moving back there as my lease comes up here next year. You know, you can afford real estate, you can afford to live. It's a labor of love to be here, honestly. There's no money to be made. I wanted to share this so much with L.A., and I'm so glad I did, but, you know, they've just never seen it before. And I don't know that they'll ever see a big operation like this again.
2: With 30 tons of equipment to haul, relocating the church will be a tribulation to be reckoned with. But moving the spirit behind the place is an effortless task for a man driven by faith.
5: I want it to live and breathe and get people excited about it. And usually if I can get them in my door, I can win them over and at least some of my poster on the way out. So that's just the uphill battle that, that we're, we're all going to face with it, is trying to keep it alive.
2: For the California Report, I'm Peter Gilstrap in Santa Monica.
3: And that's the California Report Magazine, a production of KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. We're your weekly road trip for the ears to meet the people and visit the places that make California unique. You can listen to us wherever you are if you subscribe to our podcast. And let us know what you think about our show on Facebook or send us an email. CalReport at KQED.org. Our director is Susie Racho. Our technical producer is Seal Muller, with additional engineering from Katie McMurrin. Our editor this week is Carrie Feibel. Special thanks this week to Sarah Husseini, Julie Small, and April Demboski. David Marks is our online producer, and our intern is Bianca Taylor. The California Reports editorial team includes Victoria Malione, Ingrid Becker, Ethan Lindsay, and Holly Kernan. I'm Sasha Koka. Thanks for listening. This is the California Report magazine. Your state, your
0: stories. Support for the California Report comes from Barracuda Networks, cloud-ready firewalls engineered for today's next-generation business networks. Learn more at barracuda.com cloudready cloud-ready. The James Irvine Foundation, expanding economic and political opportunity for Californians who are working but struggling with poverty. More at irvine.org and Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose family foundation advances the wiser use of energy and natural resources on a planet where everything is connected, on the web at theschmidt.org.
3: Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area, its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book.